It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello. Oh. And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here with my co-host, A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, or just writer in general, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that regularly, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. If you subscribe, you won't miss our episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And if you subscribe to the A to Z sports nashville youtube channel you won't miss the live stream which is every monday 4 p.m eastern time come hang out on the live stream comment watch the show you you can very literally participate with us folks it's amazing and uh and then you get all the other content that's on the a to z sports channel now uh well let's get okay i'll get through the rest of this before i give a little disclaimer here at Charlie underscore Burst, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com, and Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, and, and then uh, I've tried to do this. Hit that like button on the YouTube as everyone is uh, pouring in here. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, as the kids on YouTube say. Now, you might have heard that there. I, I do have a directional microphone, so hopefully that helps mitigate this. But uh, getting work done to the roof of my house, and uh, yeah, oh, that, can, did you hear that? Does that? Come yeah, I, I, yeah, I did hear a yeah. little, little bit of it when you when you quit talking there. So there's kind of a team of uh, guys up there on the roof that are, uh, well, you know, like I said, they're up there working. So. Um, I don't have uh, another place to go, so we're just going to try to make this work uh, with, <laughs> with people on my roof banging around. Uh, if you do hear it, I apologize. Uh, I will do my best to try to like keep that out of the show as much as possible. Maybe while Zach's talking, I'll mute it, etc. But anyway, disclaimer to start the show there. I might have to explain that again uh, You know, when more people get in here to watch. But Zach, what's up, man? Nah, not a whole lot. Just uh, kind of this weird vibe in December. Always, I feel like in between the bowl games, it's like the college season's over, but it's not really over. I mean, you get to play these bowl games. You don't know how the team's going to look. It's kind of a sit and wait, uh, watch the transfer portal. It's just an odd time. I, I've said this a lot, but I wish there was some way that we had games t- earlier in December, uh, maybe take a week off. I don't know what it would look like, but I just I wish the season – kept kept going somehow like an expanded playoff to like maybe 24 teams I, I don't know what what the best way for that to look but i hate this like two or three weeks where just like no games are played nothing really happening yeah it, it is a little bit of a sports wasteland right now because most 
Basketball conferences haven't started their in-conference games. The bowl games haven't started. Although the bowl games, I want to say they start on like the 16th. So just a few yeah, days. Yeah, they do start early. Yeah, we're, we're real close to the bowl games. It's this weekend, I think, if not like this Thursday even. And any bowl um, game is a good bowl game, but there are some like not so great ones that are played early. It's true. The the like quick lane oil change bowl or whatever. Uh, but still, there's some there's like a prominent team playing on like December 17th, right? There's like, is it Florida? Florida, Florida plays Oregon State this Saturday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're we've already kind of said it. They're going to be playing with like their fourth string quarterback. Um, not great. But it oh, oh Matthew in the the comments he says Friday is the first bowl game. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, looking I'll watch forward it, to that. Whatever it is, I'll watch it. But it, but but for right now, what you could really look forward to is kind of those uh, interesting out of conference college basketball games. There has been a few. One of them this weekend involving Tennessee. We're going to talk about that. They beat Maryland. They hung on by the skin of their teeth. It was a little more stressful than it should have been. By a little, I mean. A lot, a lot, a lot more than more stressful than it should have been. But we'll talk about that. We'll we'll see. I'll, I'll try to get your opinion if you think they're a real contender, Zach. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the transfer portal because who doesn't want to know about that right now? I mean, honestly, like we could say something about the transfer portal right now at 4 p.m. on Monday, and that will change by 5 p.m. on Monday. So we'll try to get the most up to date information that we can on the transfer portal. But to start out, and I'm going to uh, give. Uh, give folks the conversation that is the theme of the show that I made the, the thumbnail and everything. Will Tennessee have opt-outs for this bowl game? Uh, we're going to talk about it, but first I got to tell everybody about the amazing sponsor of this show, Superbook Sports. Can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets you will find anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports, the great people that keep this show going. Go download the app. And uh, now with that said... These, uh, the opt-outs for this bowl game, I think this is something, you know, we, we kind of have to find the topics with this bowl game in between now and the week when we will actually preview Tennessee playing, which is still a couple of weeks away. Um, I guess if we if we covered Florida, we would be previewing their game right now. Uh, thankfully, Tennessee didn't go 6-6 six and six like they did, uh, and we get a little better bowl game this season. But, um, so some of these topics right now, uh, there's obviously plenty to talk about, but this is one that I think people have been wondering about. And these names for opt-outs and bowl games have slowly been trickling out. You saw um, Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky is opting out. Will Levis from Kentucky, which Florida, the over-under on that game has got to be 20. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be bad. Uh, I don't know how Kentucky is going to score points in that one. But some, some opt-outs like that. But you really haven't heard any from Tennessee. And the conversation that we can have now is, and I'll throw it to you, Zach, do you think we're going to see any guys uh, lay out of this bowl game? I'm, I'm sure there's going to be somebody. Uh, I think Cedric Tillman probably will be one of those guys that I, I wouldn't really classify him as an opt-out just because of his injury situation where he's been rehabbing this ankle since the Akron game, has never really been able to get 100% healthy. 
He's obviously going to the NFL. I'm not sure it's worth it for him to play in that game, considering he already has that injury that could be re-aggravated, and then that sets him back as far as uh, scouting opportunities, combine, pro days, things like that that start happening, uh, senior bowl opportunities. Just, there's plenty of different opportunities for him uh, to showcase his, his talents to the NFL, which he needs to do after not being able to play much this year. So I think that's one, again, wouldn't really classify that as an opt-out. I think the biggest name, obviously, is Jalen Hyatt, which I imagine we'll probably hear something about that at any time this week. He mentioned last uh, Thursday when he won the Bolitnikoff Award that he would be making it or announcing a decision this week. He said at the time he's 50-50. You know, we'll see. He mentioned NIL uh, would factor into his decision as far as how the scouts think the, the NFL scouts, where they think he'll be drafted and if he needs to come back another year to raise that draft stock, uh, all that will go in. I think he'll make a really informed, smart decision. I mean, you can just tell the way he's raised his parents, like he's not just going to make a jump at a decision. I think that's why he's kind of taking his time here. So I think he ends up going pro. I, I really don't know what to think about him as far as the bowl game goes. I mean, that's, that that's just however he feels and and what kind of advice he gets from not only his family his own, his coaches I mean they'll factor into that decision and and considering the way Josh Heupel has coached this team I think he'll give him some honest feedback on what he should do I don't think he's going to sacrifice Hyatt's career uh, to win a bowl game or anything like that though if Hyatt wants to play I think Josh Heupel would be more than happy to have him on the field against Clemson. Uh, another one's Darnell Wright, who accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. He had a year of eligibility. I don't think anybody really expected him to come back. Looks like he's going to go to the NFL. I think he'll probably play in the bowl game. It seems like it's trending that direction, but we'll see. Nothing's official there. Uh, outside of that, I mean, there's no names that really jump out. I mean, you got some guys that that obviously are moving on uh, that have exhausted their eligibility, but I don't think there's anybody – I mean, you might have a random one here or there that decides they don't want to play. But I think they'll probably have pretty close to a full roster. And that's what Heupel said when he went to Miami for the Orange Bowl press conference, too, that he expects the same. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation because, um, and, and Danny in the comments says it here, this is the best bowl game Tennessee has had in how long? I think that's a big factor here there's a lot of really cynical people that cover college football i'm one of them but i'm actually not cynical in this particular way there's there's guys that are just like at the drop of a hat guys are gonna opt out of a bowl game well when it's the music city bowl yeah i think that's definitely true but when you have a team like tennessee that has it's been so long since they've achieved great things and then suddenly they have a 10 and 2 season or playing in, in the orange bowl I think you're going to have guys that want to play for pride and and like like a Darnell Wright maybe and I I maybe there are teams where the coach is going to advise his players not to play and protect yourself in the NFL I, who knows but I I think in a situation like this there's going to be a lot of guys that go like I want to play a final game with my team in in orange and white and, and be there like I I I just think that there's people write that off way too quickly where they're just like, Oh, these guys are going to want to opt out. No, I mean, playing in college is really special. When you talk to former players, they talk so fondly about their, their time there. And then they talk about how hard it is to, to step away, even to go pro like, yeah, you're going to go play more football, but you're not going to play football at the college level with the same set of guys. It's not going to be that same, you know, special feeling like you have uh, at, at Tennessee and at other colleges. Like it, it is a different thing. So, 
I I hope, especially like a Darnell Wright, a Jalen Hyatt. Man, I, I would love to see them play in this game. Hyatt seems the diciest. Um, I, I think I think Tillman won't play. Hyatt seems the diciest just because it, the the way that he's talked about NIL, it does seem like he can be convinced though. If they if they go like, we'll throw enough money at you here <laughs> to to kind of put your body potentially on the line, and he might want to break those records too. Yeah, the thing, I mean, yeah, he's 32 yards away from that record. Although, I kind of wrote about this, I think, last week. That record, if he breaks it, uh, it's probably not going to stand for long, right? Because Josh Heupel's offense, you expect to continue to get better and better. Uh, so, you should hope, as a Tennessee fan, that that record does get broken in the coming years if Hyatt does break it. You want to see 1,500, 1,600, 1,800-yard receiving seasons. And I, and I think we probably will at some point. So, I don't know how important that is. I'd get it if Hyatt if Hyatt sits out. I, I totally understand why you would. I, I I think you made some good points there with how much players miss college the way they talk about it. I think you saw that with Cade Mays last year because he was kind of conflicted on returning. And honestly, if I was him, I, I think I would have came back for another year because I think he really, if he could have stayed healthy and played this year in this offense, as much hype as it got. He was, what, a sixth-round pick, I believe, by the Panthers last year. I mean, he's probably – he could have been at least a third-round pick if he comes back and plays well. He's a really talented player. His problem was kind of staying on the field. But if, if he would have been on the field, I think he would have raised his draft stock significantly. When it comes to the NIL deals, though, I do understand why that's not enough to keep some guys. Sure, it's good money, but it's one season of good money. You're trying to get to the NFL – and get that rookie contract, especially if you're Jalen Hyatt, a guy that can go in the early rounds. I don't think he's going to end up going first round just because of his size and some of those question marks. I think teams will save those first round picks and they'll pick more of a sure thing at a different position and maybe try to land Hyatt in the second or third round. But that that's still, you get to that rookie contract four years and you can get to your first big free agent contract if you perform well that a year faster you know it's getting there when you're 25 as opposed to 26 and that may not may not seem like a big deal um but i mean it is to those guys and i think that factors into their decision more than one year of nil money yeah there's a lot that goes into that it's it's a complicated process um overall there's a couple of good questions here in the comments, Austin asked, has Clemson had any big names opt out? And then just a few comments later, Matthew sort of answers that question. He said, according to Clemson Insiders, it looks like most of their guys are probably going to play, specifically their D-line guys that are first-round players. That surprises me. I, I I'll be surprised me, only because it's Clemson. And for whatever reason, Dabo has that culture. Yeah, like, He has it. I mean, it starts in recruiting with those guys where you commit to Clemson, and you don't go visit anywhere else. And I have my thoughts about that. I don't love it because I think that's part of the experience. I think if you're if you're a guy that's committed to Tennessee and you're locked in, I mean, you're not going anywhere else, you still get a chance to go visit Miami. You get a chance to go visit LSU or some other, you know, kind of historical university and just get to have that experience. Like, who wouldn't want to do that on somebody else's dime? Like, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. And if, if they decide they want to, flip their commitment then so be it like you can't force a guy to want to come to your program he either wants to be there or he doesn't so sometimes you just gotta have some trust and let the chips fall where they may I don't love that Dabo does that at the same time that culture carries over when they sign with Clemson and they enroll there and it 
I mean, that that's the culture that he's built, and that's part of why Clemson's been a good program, and that's part of why they've won national championships. He's a corny guy. I hope Tennessee beats him, and and they get to have some fun in the post game presser with some comments, and who knows what we'll see about hamburgers and all that if Tennessee wins. I look forward to that, but I also you know respect what he's built there. Uh, he's built it his own way, but it works. I do wonder if the buy-in from players into his his nonsense dwindles if he keeps having seasons like this year i'm sure you know it's really easy to get buy-in from guys when you're winning national championships that's that's the ultimate nobody questions nick saban of course you're going to buy into what nick saban says the guys won a thousand championships at this point but you know clemson with Dabo, he's so cheesy and preachy and ridiculous and if and you know they've they've kind of been talking. He he sort of has fought the NIL stuff. I I wonder if that wears off over time. But I like <laughs> Brian in the comments. This one just made me laugh. He said, "Who would you want to drop out of the ball game?" Uh, I don't know that there's anybody on the team that I don't want to see play. Obviously, I I would answer that by saying, if those defensive linemen from Clemson could opt out, that would be great. Uh, but there's nobody from Tennessee. Um, <laughs> maybe Kamal Haddon. After the way, after some of the things he did this season and the way he got roasted in the Music City Bowl last season. But no, uh, anybody and everybody I want to see play in this game, and I hope they do, and obviously the big ones, Jalen Hyatt and and those guys. But otherwise, t- Tennessee just doesn't have a lot of those borderline guys like Alante Taylor, where he was really fighting to move up in the draft and really wanted to make uh, a good impression going into uh the, the the draft you don't really have that and then you throw in that Tennessee's playing in a more prestigious New Year's Six bowl and I think you just combine those two things and you're just gonna get most of these guys playing. Uh I, I would be at this point I would be pretty surprised if we see more than a couple of guys opt out. Hopefully that clip doesn't come back to bite me. But but uh you know it it just seems that way. Like it just Tennessee's in an advantageous spot here uh and hopefully they can that that will end up coming to fruition this i'll, I'll answer charlie here charlie while she says will nil hurt college football i'll answer that by saying that is an extremely complicated question that i'm not sure i want to go into all that much uh but in my personal opinion no it i i think it has to get ironed out that's mm-hmm. the key at this point it's an absolute wild west right now in anybody going i mean you see today i i don't know there's no confirmation of this but marshawn lloyd is hit the transfer portal from south carolina he's arguably the best player on that entire football team at least in terms of athleticism um i could see a situation again no confirmation of this complete speculation on my part just trying to make an example but a situation where he does that and it's to try to extract NIL money out of South Carolina, where he goes, if you don't give me what I want, I'm not coming back. Cause obviously if he wants to play at South Carolina, he's going to have a spot. And so it, you know, that's going to be part of it. And it, there's going to be a lot of growing pains with it, but it's ultimately, I think it's good. I think a lot of this would get ironed out because I think you see guys like Jalen Hyatt and Hendon hooker who played at a really high level and this season, and those are the guys you see with the big NIL deals right now. You see Hendon Hooker doing, I mean, he had like a Duncan 
uh, little ad on his Instagram today with Joe Milton. You see Jalen Hyatt with like the Hyatt hotels and some of the stuff he has going on. Those big deals like that, you're only going to get them if you if you perform at a high level. I mean, Stetson Bennett at Georgia, whatever you think of him being a Heisman finalist, he kind of said it at the ceremony. I mean, if you focus on football and take care of football and you play at a high level, that stuff will take care of itself. So if players are out there chasing NIL money and they're worried about NIL money, it's probably not going to work out well for them. And I think eventually you're going to, people, they're going to realize that you always have some outliers that don't, of course, they'll just see a, a get rich quick scheme and they'll take some money and they won't, they won't play well afterwards or whatever. Like that's always going to be a thing. But I think the the kids that really play well, that, that want to get to the next level, they're just going to see it as a bonus if they, perform as they're expected so I, th- I think that'll eventually take care of itself as far as the way it's connected to the portal i don't know i mean that's i i think of maybe eventually it self-corrects but it is a mess right now with so many kids entering the portal and you can't even keep up with it i don't even know how tennessee's coaches or any coach is keeping up with that right now you're trying to lot you're trying to make do your your plans for bowl practices you're trying to put the finishing touches on your early signing period which Fortunately, most most of those are, are pretty much wrapped up. Then you're evaluating your roster, figuring out who's leaving, who's staying, what you need to address, who's out there, who can you talk to, who can you get a visit from, who can you get on the phone with, do they fit your culture, can they do what you need, are they better than what you have? Because the portal's not always an instant answer. If you get a DB coming from Alabama just because he went to Alabama doesn't mean he's the, the answer at Tennessee. Why is he transferring from Alabama? And that's not not to say that a player will or won't be, but those are things that have to factor into all that. So it's, I think December is becoming one of the toughest months to be a college football coach, even though there's no games played. And and it's going to come in waves too, because I think after the bowl season wraps up, you're going to see a whole set of guys transfer again. And then when spring practice wraps up, you're going to see a whole set of guys transfer again. And it's just going to be this thing that is a, a rolling deal where just more and more guys they they see oh after spring practice oh i'm not going to get the playing time i want him out of here oh after after the bowl game like uh you know i i seen some georgia fans this week where they were like we don't have anybody in the portal ha 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 well you're the number one team in america playing in the playoff of course you don't have any players in the portal you dummies <laughs> they're they're gonna wait until after the national championship to to go into the portal that's absolutely silly but uh it's i think this offseason is going to be one of the most fascinating sort of experiments in the history of college football. Because obviously, the the transfer portal is as wild as it's ever going to be. And and then you have things like, I, I think this is an experiment within an experiment. Like Deion Sanders at, uh, at Colorado. Obviously, he's a draw because of who he is. He's prime, you know. But he's at Colorado. He's a coach at an irrelevant school in an irrelevant conference. Of course, him being there sort of makes them irrelevant in that way. They have a relevant coach, but they've won nothing of note since the 90s. And that was like a weird national championship that they won on a miracle throw and like a whole thing. So, I mean, and I, I wonder if, if you combine those two things. And I, I don't know if Colorado, do they have like the NIL backing and things like that that I would think he's going to want to have there. And so that's a really ex- interesting experiment too, because I think everyone's assuming he's just going to walk in and be like, every five-star in America is going to want to go play for him. 
why would any five-star in America want to go play in Colorado? Even if he's there, that's great. That would be really cool to play with one of the you know greatest football players of all time. That would be awesome. But he's a Colorado. <laughs> like, I don't know if he was if he was at Florida State or was it Miami or was that like one of these prestige programs and a prestige location and a prestige conference? Sure. But he's at a sort of lowly school in a lowly conference. So what where does that take you? There's some really interesting stuff that's gonna unfold in this offseason. Like I if he can really pull a ton of five stars there, I will be I don't know that I'll be shocked but i'll it i'll it'll be interesting that that would be fascinating fascinating is the right word i'm more interested in the see, seeing how how he runs a power five program and how well they do because at jackson state part of the reason he was so successful is he had so much more talent than everybody else he was able to get a lot of these guys that don't that don't end up at at, at these lower level schools when you have better talent, it's pretty easy to dominate. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he runs the program. I feel like it's either going to be wildly successful or just a complete disaster. And if he doesn't get the four and five star talent, then he's he's going to have to be coaching. Like you're going to have to out coach people. Does, does Dion out coach people? Like we don't know. I mean, we I, I certainly haven't really paid close attention to Jackson State or watched their games or or seen how how they've been successful or why they've been successful. I assume it's, like I said, the talent that he's had down there. He's just out-talented people. But can he actually coach? Like that's, That, to me, is the most intriguing thing with that whole situation. Yeah, because at, at a certain point, winning at the FCS level is a whole different thing. At a certain point, you're going to have to really coach these guys up because he's not – I don't think there is any doubt in my mind. He's not going to have the talent that a USC is going to have this season. Can he go up against Lincoln Riley and win that football game in you know in the X's and O's? And I I honestly don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe he's a brilliant football coach. I you know we'll we'll just have to see. But yeah. that's kind of a, a side tangent. Um, with, with all of that said, somebody also asked, and I thought this was a good question too. Let's see. Yeah, Danny. He said, "Are we going to have our secondary starters that have been hurt back for the bowl game? We don't really know because I don't think Burrell's going to be back. He won't. I, yeah." Yeah, I, I don't. Warm, warm Burrell won't be back. Uh, but I, I mean, most everybody else, I don't think anything was so serious that they wouldn't be back for that bowl game. At least, not to my knowledge, that I saw. Most of the guys were back for that Vandy game. So I don't. Well, nah, some of them. Who who was out? Flowers in was Flowers out. Flowers was out, yeah. and that that was an unexpected one. That could be somebody that maybe doesn't play in the bowl game. Uh, That's just true. Just on the injury and what's going on because he's he's moving on after the season. So, Is he not in a position where he almost needs to put more down on tape? Like it it would you be would think, but how much? Him. I mean, how much does the bowl game factor into that NFL stuff? Like they're probably looking at the all the games that happened before that. Is, is one bowl game against Clemson going to make that big of a difference with a DB? I don't know if it would or not. So, I mean, that's the thing. that That's the decision they have to weigh, and that's part of it. I mean, and I'm sure they'll get feedback. They talk to scouts. They get all that stuff. So, we'll see. But that is one name that could be – could potentially opt out. We shall see. That's – yeah, that's one I hadn't thought about. He He's probably as close to, like, that borderline player that I was talking about earlier as Tennessee has right now. Because, yeah, everybody else, you know – there, there's not really anybody on that defense that is that 
by I mean Byron Young, but he's I mean he's playing right. Like I, you would I think <laughs> you would think right. I mean he's going to have yeah, NFL there's... potential. Obviously, I think he led the team in sacks this season, but he's not going to be a first, second, third round guy. I mean he's going to no. be a later round draft pick if he does get drafted. Um, I think it's worth it to go play in that bowl game if you're him to just to be exactly. a part of the Orange Bowl and go finish what you started with Tennessee, win 11 games for the first time since what 2001. I mean, you, you got a lot of special things that you can accomplish. You you win this Orange Bowl game against Clemson, and it's the most popular Tennessee team since the '98 team, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be right they because have a- of the way the '01 season ended. You know, with that loss in the SEC championship game. I kind of put a damper on that season. So I think, yeah, it'd be the most popular team since 98. They they have a lot of pride to play for. Yeah, John John Hill asked, do you think Banks will opt out? He he feels similar to me. He, he feels similar to Young. Like, maybe, but almost why? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, Jeremy. And this is total speculation on my part, just from observing him. Whatever happened the, the week of the South Carolina game, I don't think that factors into it any of this at all. I think Banks is a competitor. The dude loves to compete. He is out there playing hard all the time. Uh, go back and watch that Florida game. There's one play where he literally like jumps over, tries to jump over the offensive line, and he's leg flying out almost like he's trying to kick a fullback down or something. I mean, it was the effort that he puts. I mean, he, he played – that was part of his problem early on is he tried to play too fast and too uncontrolled. Uh, I think he wants to be out there playing. I, I would be surprised if he opts out. Yeah, out of anybody, when I mentioned like guys playing for for pride, he's like at the top of yeah, the list of those sure. guys to me. So, obviously, as we get closer, honestly, we'll see. Um, you have already seen guys opting out. And so to a certain extent, I've kind of go like, if there was going to be any, there is a chance they would have already done it by now. That's not a guarantee, sure, but yeah. there is a chance they would have already done it by now. So yeah, Hi- Hyatt's the one that you're like, you're waiting on yes. a decision. Like you're going to get, I am playing in the bowl game or I'm not playing in the bowl game from him. These other guys, if you don't hear anything, just assume they're playing. And and you gotta, you gotta think with Hyatt, like the news came out this week that he signed with a NIL representation and thinks if he's, you gotta wonder if he's kind of shopping around at the yeah. moment. For From what I understand, I think that agency that he signed with does handle some NFL stuff too, or they have agents mm. that kind of deal with all that. So it could be an all encompassing deal for when he does go to the next level that kind of handles both for him. And I imagine you'll see agencies getting into more and more of that. It's big business. That's for sure. It wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I think that's that's the bulk of that conversation. Was there anything else there, Zach, that you wanted to cover with the, the opt-outs? Uh, I, mean, we... the, I think the main thing, really, uh, not so much opt-outs, the portal. Uh, that That's such just a wild card right now. It, it, trying to figure out who Tennessee might go after and might not go after. I think they've got – I think they're in on quite a few players. Uh, I think it, it's changing hourly, and, and until somebody says they're committed to Tennessee, it's really hard to know where these guys are going to end up going. I mean, NIL is obviously factoring into some of that, uh, but otherwise, it, it's going to be it's going to be just a lot of wait and see who Tennessee gets because they could use talent in a lot of different places. Uh, obviously, they need defensive backs, they need linebacker depth, they need defensive line depth. I mean, they need they're going to probably need some wide receiver depth because you've got. You know, Cedric Tillman leaving, Jalen Hyatt possibly leaving. You're going to need 
more guys out there you can count on. You saw how much that depth was needed this year. I mean, without Ramel Keaton, where's Tennessee this year? Uh, Jalen Hyatt gets all the hype, as he should, but Keaton was, I mean, so many huge catches that he made at, at critical points in games. Like, it seemed like almost every one of his catches was just a clutch, must-have catch. Uh, so you saw how important depth is at that position and running back as well when Jabari Small got banged up or he's really banged up all season. And yep. you really didn't have anybody outside of Jalen Wright besides Dylan Sampson, the true freshman, and he had to go through some growing pains. So that depth, I mean, it's, it's not the most exciting word, but you do need it. And I imagine a lot of what Tennessee will go after will be depth options. Yeah, it's it, that's the name of the game during this offseason. That's that's what you have to get after. Um I, I'm glad Nuggs said this because it had slipped by me. He said, thoughts and prayers for Mike Leach and his family. Um, absolutely. This th- so tragic. Uh, Mike Leach reportedly had a cardiac episode. The I saw newspaper in Mississippi said it was a massive heart attack, but then I actually saw somebody else dispute that and say that even the family doesn't know that to be exactly the case. But a cardiac episode in very serious critical con- condition in a hospital in Mississippi. Um, really, really hoping for the best there. He's one of the great characters in the history of college football. Just a, a, a legend in his own right, even if it's not all for winning. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just uh, it's such a huge impact on college football. I mean, you yeah. look at so many of the offenses that have their roots in, in that Mike Leach, Halmum. Uh, type type of yes. offense and you know, obviously Josh Heupel I was, he, yep. he ended up at Oklahoma in 1999 because of Mike Leach that's uh, one of the great college football stories really I mean Josh Heupel was a nobody he was coming from what Snow College Weber State some guy from South Dakota Mike Leach goes to Oklahoma needs somebody that can run the offense and he's scouring uh, for transfers and at that time transfers are few and far between because it just wasn't a big thing back then it didn't happen often and and unless you were coming from the lower level you had to sit out a year he finds josh heupel they have this visit where they leach has just got moved in at oklahoma he has no furniture in his office they're sitting on the floor just watching film for the entire visit and that that's where a lot of Heupel's philosophies, even though what he runs now is very different than the air raid, it's more closer to Art Browse and, and what we saw at Baylor back in the day. Uh, it, it, it has its roots in Mike Leach's philosophies, and it extends to Lincoln Riley and Cliff, Cliff, Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL, so many different coaches that he's influenced over the years. So it's not just his his quirky personality and his, his funny stories during press conferences. It, it, it's on the field too, that he's had such a major impact on the sport. Absolutely. Hope, hope he, uh, he makes it out fine. It's still very much up in the air at this moment, Monday afternoon. Um, so hopefully he, he's able to pull through Zach. Uh, let's talk about basketball now, but I'll, I'll start by saying this is going to be awkward. I just realized I left my charger in the other room and my computer's about to die and I got to run and go get it. And you're going to have to improv for like 30 seconds while I go do this. Tennessee beat Maryland yesterday. Uh, what did you think of the game and what happened? And then we can get into the conversation about the, the shape of this team right before non-con starts. But there it is. Talk about that basketball game and go. <laughs> Well, as we hear the soothing sounds of of Charlie's roofing in the background, 
I'll say I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into basketball in November and December. I've said this plenty of times before. I think where you're at in November and December is not where you're going to be at, obviously, in March and April. It's such a different, I don't know, objective than college football. It's a journey. The whole college basketball season is a journey. And these these wins and losses in November and December, they don't determine your season, where you're going to end up, where you're going. It's kind of that's the building process. And you see a lot of teams that struggle in December. They're right there in the Elite Eight and Final Four in March and April. So I, I don't I don't personally put a ton of stock into what happens this early in the season. I saw like if you went off Twitter yesterday, you would think that Tennessee lost that basketball game, right? Yeah. Um, I I feel like that's pretty accurate. But you just, just get the win. You're in New York, get the win, move on. It, it's not always pretty this time of year. So I understand there's a lot of people that were frustrated with the way that, that the second half went, but I don't think it's a, an indictment of this team. I, I know a lot of people don't share that opinion, but that's kind of how I felt about it. Weirdly, I actually think that game was good. I obviously, you won. <laughs> so that's always nice. And I think it's a resume builder because I – Ultimately, I think Maryland's going to be a pretty tough team in the Big Ten, um, which is going to they're the Big Ten's a good league this year. Uh, I think the SEC might be the best league in America. Actually, Alabama beat Houston over the weekend, uh, but you you won and you saw a bunch of things you can improve on because the the Colorado game I think sent a shock through the system and Tennessee has responded really well, especially with a guy like Zakai Ziegler. Like it sort of woke him up. B- Barnes benched him after that game. And then he's been giving really great minutes. He was the MVP of that game. He was named for, it was a neutral site game and he got named the MVP of the game, which is really cool. Cause he's a New York guy and it was played in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, Zakai has just been playing way cleaner basketball and has been far more effective after that Colorado game. And it, and it sent sort of a shockwave through. So I think this game you look, Maryland was doing things offensively that were breaking our defense. And I, some of that was that Josiah Jordan James is out. He's such a power on defense and, and a great senior leader and things like that. But also, and, and guys were in foul trouble and that was a part of it too. But also they, they were just doing things with, with all of these high ball screens and things that were just, it was really effective against what Tennessee does. And I think now they have that on tape. They can study it and and work against it because ultimately, I think Tennessee, there's a, a real argument to be made that Tennessee's the best defensive team in America. As of right now, they have their number one in defensive efficiency, uh, I think according to Kimpom, at this moment. So you have a real chance to kind of put together a sort of like Tony Bennett, Virginia type team where the games are not going to be pretty. <laughs> but when you play lockdown defense like that, you're going to win a lot of games. And I, I don't think that there's any scenario where Tennessee has an incredible offense this season, but a game like Maryland where they, what they shoot 28% from the floor or something, and you still win. That's a testament to the style that this team plays with. Now, Eric is saying in the comments here, Arizona is coming up and you have to hit shots because Arizona is going to be way more locked in than Maryland was in that game. They have better players, a better coach, you know, well, it's actually Maryland's coach is good. He just, it's his first season there. He's still kind of getting his feet set, but um, 
Kevin Willard was great at Seton Hall, but uh, I think against Arizona, they're one of the best teams in America, and you're going to have to come and make shots. And and then John says this here is a great point. You can't you can't force three pointers. You can't force anything if you want to be as efficient as you can on offense with this team. Because as I said, like points in some sense are just going to be hard to come by. Period with this team that just they're just not built to be incredible on offense, especially since they don't have a true point guard. Um, and and so I hope. To go all the way back to my original point there. I hope this Maryland game, it puts some things on tape that Tennessee can improve on, and you still got to win. So hopefully that's what they take away from it, and they go from there. How much How much do you, because I've seen a lot of talk about this uh, in various places, what do you think of Vescovy's performance? I mean, he's obviously not 100%, but still played, what, like 30, 36, 37 yep. minutes. How much does him not being healthy and trying to gut it out factor into the game being closer than maybe would have liked it and, and moving forward, if he gets healthy, what does that change uh, moving forward? That's a good question. Cause he is so important in so many different ways, but he has le- just glaring shortcomings that I don't think he'll ever truly overcome. He can't create his own shot and that's tough. And he kind of has to be facilitated into shots was where, you know, he has to come off a, a screen and, and shoot with his feet set. He's, he's really bad. If he's not, uh, if he's fading away or anything like that, he, he comes up short. He had a couple of shots like that in that game against Maryland. Like, but at the same time, he's extremely important defensively and extremely important when he can get going. This guy likes Kai Ziegler. He's not going to be knocking down threes all the time, constantly, but also he will do it. And last season, he did it in situations that were really clutch and really important. And so, I mean, ultimately, you hope he becomes a go-to scorer. I just, I, I don't know if it's in there. I think the guy that really needed to do that was was uh, Josiah Jordan-James. And I'm not sure he's going to be 100% this whole season. Just the way that this whole thing is shaping out. I, I don't like that the, the things that he said in post games about the injury um, where the knee is just bugging him. He doesn't feel comfortable with the knee. I mean, I, I read something that said they they aren't seeing damage in the knee and he's still uncomfortable, which that's, to me, that's a really bad sign. I, that Not that he's going to sit out forever. And clearly Tennessee can win without him in big games. They beat Kansas, they beat Maryland without him they can do that but i'm not sure you're going to get 100 percent triple j this season i i just don't know speculation on my part but just reading the tea leaves there from the things he said and that that stinks oh yeah i mean that's obviously a, a hugely important part of, of this team especially need him in that arizona game like like you had mentioned um yeah so what's your gut say about this game then saturday like what late game uh what 10 10 30 eastern time start how do you how do how does Tennessee adjust to playing that late? How do you think it goes? They have to play the best game of the season. I mean, if Eric, Eric says in the comments here, Arizona averages ninety one a game. <sighs> That's brutal. Now it's it's two immovable forces kind of going at each other. Tennessee, best defense in America. Arizona, maybe the best offense in America, and they're clashing here. Arizona has already dropped the game, uh, and it was a weird one to Utah at Utah, but. 
Tennessee is going to have to play the best game they played all season. That's period sort of end of story there. They just, you have to come with your absolute A game and specifically what's already been said in the comments there. You got to make shots. Those Tennessee has done a great job creating open threes all season and they can't hit them. <laughs> that can't happen. You have to knock those shots down in, in the games where Tennessee won in, in, in clutch fashion or close. They were, they hit shots. Julian Phillips can't miss layups. You can't miss layups. That's not going to work against Arizona. You get blown out of that building against Arizona if you do that. You can't miss free throws. They missed a bunch of free throws against uh, Maryland. Can't do that. Like, it has to be not flawless. You don't have to be flawless. Arizona is not the freaking 95 Bulls. But they are really, really good, and it's at Arizona. And so... You're just going to have to bring everything you have and throw it at them. I, I'll say if you're asking me for a prediction, I think Tennessee drops this game. Just hot, hostile environment. If it was neutral site, I might favor Tennessee, actually. Uh, but it's not. So here we are. I, I think uh, this is going to be a really, really tough one for Tennessee and probably not a win. Just my my current feeling. It's just That, that offense just not there yet. I think... Get Julian Phillips scoring consistently. I think it really can be there. He's so key to everything that's going on here. But, I mean, against Maryland, dude was bricking layups. That can't happen. It cannot happen. Period. So, I Howard, how do you think it goes? I mean, I feel pretty much the same way. My gut says that Tennessee does not win. Uh, I think it'll probably be close, but I think Arizona pulls it out of the end. I just don't think Tennessee can score enough. And like you said, they have to play perfect. They have to make those shots and they have to do something, you know, they have to do what they haven't really done this season and play a perfect game. And yeah, why I don't, I just don't expect that to suddenly happen Saturday. It's just not there yet. I, I think so last season, by the end of the season, because of Kennedy Chandler growing and things, I think this, they, they were their best self when it came to the SEC tournament and, and near the end of the season, they blew it against Michigan. Think what you want, but, the, the fact is they were playing their best basketball at the end of the season. I think this team has that same potential. If Josiah Jordan James can get healthy, if Julian Phillips can round into form, if you can get Zakai just playing better and better and better, Vest could be playing better and better and better. It's all there for this team. They are one of the deepest teams in America. You had the, the assurgence of like a Tobey, Tobey, Toby, Toby Awaka in that game. Dudes like that who will continue to grow. I mean, he be, he had a really nice performance. And then Rick, Rick sat him on the bench, and I genuinely didn't understand why because he was playing better than any dude, any other dude was in the post. Uh, he was actually scoring for you and getting really great rebounds. He was playing smart basketball. Um, but, you know, you get Awaka playing better and Adu back. I mean, Adu was out of that game. That's so important too. Like, I, I, I think this team is nowhere close to playing its best basketball. I would put it that way. I'm not sure they're going to play their best basketball on Saturday because it's that's a tough environment. It's going to be just a, just a really, really hard place to win. So I, I would say that. Now, an interesting side note with basketball, a future opponent for Tennessee is the Texas Longhorns, and their coach got arrested today for, I guess you could say, domestic violence, essentially, although it wasn't. And it was, according to the Austin Police Department, their report on it, they put out on Twitter, a striking and strangling a female? Yeah, uh, strangulation was in the yeah. report. So that's... I mean, that, I'll, I'll defer to that. It's not me. I don't want to speculate on that. I think that was in that 
that police report really really ugly kind of feels like something you get fired for just got out of jail this afternoon so it wasn't like they spent an hour there and got bonded out bailed out i mean ten ten thousand dollars bond he had a bond hearing and was in jail until then and and that video of him walking out of the jail i mean it was head down masked on straight to the car not a word to reporters very solemn like a man that knew his fate uh now his lawyer did say he's 100 percent innocent but what lawyer has not ever said that while defending someone so i mean i don't obviously it's it's all allegations and got to go through the whole legal system and all that but it certainly does not look good for him and if it if he is charged i mean if they they bring the i don't know how all that works as far as the legal system goes but they see it through and he ends up being, I mean, he's done. Like there's no way he can keep coaching. Right. It feels like a situation where they let it play out legally. But and you got to suspend him while it plays yeah. out legally. I think, yeah. I think you have to, you have, I just, like, can you imagine him at a, a way game coaching? Exactly. Oh, there's, it'd be terrible. That, that can't happen. Uh, well, I, and I don't Tennessee know. plays in what January 28th, I believe. So yes, got a month. I would so- bet that he does not coach that game. Yeah, which is a really interesting development because he might not be the greatest guy off the court. I don't, I don't know, innocent until proven guilty. But he, <laughs> if this ends up being true, this is really bad. Uh, but he's an excellent basketball coach. Chris Beard, one of the best basketball coaches in America. He's already been to a Final Four with Texas Tech. And Texas, I believe Texas at this moment is the number two team in America. Well, they probably um, fell a little bit today because they did lose last week. That's to, right. Uh, Illinois. Yeah. But regardless, they were playing really good basketball. And this is, I, I do think he may, he may not be the coach by the time Tennessee plays uh, Texas. Or or they, you know, the, the, the legal system runs its course and they figure out that it wasn't what you know, it, it wasn't uh, the thing that we've been told exactly, and then he does end up coaching. I don't know. But uh, an ugly incident nonetheless. Uh, so that's it with basketball, unless there was anything else. Arizona game, go out there. I mean, I don't think you can understate how big of a win that would be at Arizona. You're you're edging on it at that point. Like, you really have a nice tournament resume already before you ever even play conference ball. So. Um, Big, big game, a big opportunity to capitalize. I, I feel kind of similarly to the Kansas game where it's like, if you would have lost to Kansas, it's not going to be the end of the world. But if you beat them, it's huge. And Tennessee obviously beat Kansas. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see. I might be asleep by halftime <laughs> with it being a 10-30 game. But, uh, you know, there's, there's that. Now, uh, we can finish up with a little transfer portal talk in terms of actual transactions with Tennessee. Since we spoke last, we did a short segment last week where Tennessee got uh, a tight end in the transfer portal, got an offensive tackle from uh, the Juco level, and then also got a kicker in the transfer portal. They haven't picked up anybody else unless it's literally happened since we started this show. They haven't picked up anybody else, um, but obviously still ongoing. Now, I went today, Zach. And I looked through on three, their coverage of the transfer portal is just ridiculously good. Uh, And God bless whoever is doing that because it's a monstrous task at the moment. Uh, But I went through and looked at 
basically the top 500 players in the transfer portal. And on three lists out the schools they have interest in. Now, the vast majority of them, it was just like undecided, no real detail. If if you're lucky, they visited a school, so you know they have interest there. Um, and there has been a little bit of that. Tennessee had a visit from a, what uh, JUCO, East Mississippi Community College, Elijah Davis, uh, who I believe is the number one JUCO defensive lineman, and it's down to us and South Carolina. So there's one update for you. Um, but outside of that, they did. I found this interesting. Here's Mike. The couple of the findings I had from looking through, uh, the all of on threes predictions and things. They had Tennessee as the percentage favorite for Mississippi State wide receiver Ra Ra Thomas. It was very very close with Auburn. I think it was like thirty nine point six percent for Tennessee and like thirty six point four percent for uh, Ole Miss something like that but still that would be a great pickup uh there's a lot of hype with that guy coming out uh and then the tight end from shorter uh morlock uh kyle morlock it's kind of 50 50 between tennessee and auburn for him and i know he's he is highly a highly touted guy uh that tennessee definitely wants to pick up so that was basically it I couldn't find anything else concrete outside of just what's been reported on. But uh, was there anything else you found? I, I kind of was like, collect as many transfer tidbits as you can because there's just not a lot out there. Yeah, there there really isn't much. There's so many players in the portal right now. Like we talked about earlier, it's 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 chaos right now. Nobody really knows who's going where. Some of these guys hit the portal and they already know where they're going because tampering does happen to some extent. So it's really hard to to iron out who's going where and who needs what. I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you're kind of looking for those big names, I would say. Uh, like at wide receiver, you mentioned Rob Rob Thomas. If you can get him or maybe Dominate Lovett, Lovett from Missouri, that I mean, that guy would be an instant playmaker in Tennessee's offense. There have been odds that some of the odds out there have uh, Tennessee as the favorite to land him from Missouri at, I think, plus 370. They had Colorado at plus 485, LSU, Alabama, Texas also in there. So that would be, I mean, if you're a wide receiver, I don't know why Tennessee wouldn't be at the top of your list. I mean, look at what Valus, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt. I don't know why you would not want to go to Tennessee. Uh, an interesting one that hit the portal today is Trey Knox at, yeah. from Arkansas because the Arkansas tight ends coach is left to become the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. That's an interesting hire altogether. He's extensive experience as an NFL offensive coordinator with your Titans, which I know you I'm sure you got some thoughts on that. So I think he's with the Bears, the Dolphins, and the Jets as well. His history's not great. Uh I'll get off on a little side note here as far as that hire goes. If you're a Tennessee fan and you saw the end of the season and how South Carolina played and dominated Tennessee and beat Clemson. Sure, it's got to be a part of it. It's like a little concern. Like, is, is Shane Beamer figuring it out? Was it lightning in a bottle those two weeks, or is South Carolina going to be a problem moving forward? Some of the feelings was is that Satterfield, who has now left, who was their offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, has now left and went to Nebraska with Matt Rule, who took that job after getting fired by the Carolina Panthers. The feeling is that in those two games, after the Florida game, where pretty much every South Carolina fan wanted Satterfield fired. 
he didn't call the plays those last two games. There's speculation, rumor, nothing confirmed that maybe Freddie Kitchens, a former best friend of Jeremy, or currently, I guess still a best friend of Jeremy Pruitt and with Alabama together, former head coach in the NFL, kind of did well as an offensive coordinator there with the Browns when there was some stuff in transition there. And I think when uh, they fired their head coach before, uh, before they hired their Stefanski. It seems like he called plays in those two games. So if that's the case, I think he wants to go back to the NFL. He's just an analyst. So they didn't hire Freddie Kitchens. Probably didn't want the job. They hired this guy. I think you're kind of hoping like, hey, maybe it kind of turns out like the Kentucky offensive coordinator that they hired. He tries to bring all these NFL concepts to the SEC ground and pound type game style, and it just doesn't work. So I think my personal opinion is that Freddie Kitchens had a big, big hand in South Carolina's sudden surge at the end of the season, and I don't necessarily think that's going to be sustainable moving forward. But that Arkansas tight end might follow that tight end coach to South Carolina, or he's from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Maybe Tennessee takes a look at him. I think they were in on his recruitment uh, back when that was going down. So that that would be an interesting name to watch because you're going to need – they got the one tight end already. I think you could still use another one because Fant, you know, was leaving. Campbell hit the – Miles Campbell hit the portal – Still don't know about Jacob Warren's plans, so you still could use another tight end, and yeah. obviously that would be a, a nice one to bring in. I think he was top five in the SEC for tight ends and receiving yards uh, this season, so that's it's a guy that you know can produce at this level. You know he's going to fit in and and make plays and and be productive out there. So that would be one one to watch for sure. Absolutely, I I think ultimately. I mean, Beamer could end up being a dude that really does it. I, I, I think ultimately, at least as of right now, it feels like he's going to be a guy who who gets some nice wins and does. Like, how can you might, be that bad and then turn it on so like that? I, I would I would say this. I think the thing that ultimately gets him is that he doesn't know what his identity is. He is this hype man CEO. So I remember people saying that about him when he came in. They were like, they're hoping for a real CEO coach and would know from his dad and whatever. And I think you see with this like OC hire, he is definitely a like, you, I'm going to bring you in, you do it type of guy. Um, You know, where Hypel is like, his his identity is offense. Hypel's identity is offense. Tennessee plays a distinct type of football. And and you see that with a lot of the great guys. Saban plays a distinct type of football. He, you know, tough. And and Kirby Smart, defensive guy. Like they're they're defined by what they do. He strikes me and I look. He whipped Tennessee this year. Beamer did. All credit to him. He still strikes me in that Butch Jones vein. Butch Butch won some games. He won some games at Tennessee. He had the two nine-win seasons, and he reminded us of that constantly. Um, but he, at, at the end of the day, he didn't know who he was. He was unsure of anything, and he didn't have that identity that where you were like, when you play South Carolina, you know what you're getting. And I think that really showed at the end of the season where they get absolutely just drug all over the field by Florida, and then they come back, and suddenly they found their way on offense. Well, this season, I think that there's as good of a chance that they go and win nine games next season as there is that they win six. So 
I just think that he gets caught up in that. Like he, he hasn't defined who he is, where he's going and, and, and like what he wants out of a team. And I'm not, you know, I, I kind of would probably have said the same stuff about Dabo at the beginning. And, you know, ultimately he won two national championships and he dabbles a to- total cornball and Beamer's a cornball. So maybe he falls in that camp. I don't know. Um, but j- just my my feeling there and that OC hire, good luck. That dude was with the Titans back in the day and he sucked with the Titans. So, you know, God bless your soul, South Carolina. Good luck with that. The, um, the whole state of South Carolina won't, won't like what I say here, but I think one with, with Clemson, so much of Dabo's success coincided with Tennessee just really – starting their descent i mean they were in a bad place in the early 2010s and clemson had a lot of players from tennessee chattanooga and that that kind of south carolina you know northwest part of the state where tennessee could grab some guys i mean they were able to kind of lock all that down and that was a big reason that they were able to to kind of build that program it was just kind of the right place right time now Dabo's done well i'm not going to take anything away from him you got to be the right coach to take advantage of that situation but he did as far as South Carolina and that Tennessee game, I still think a lot of the reason for that offensive explosion was Tennessee just being lost that night. Uh, I don't think there was any big locker room drama and all that storyline that happened that week. I don't think that was necessarily what the case was. I think it was just a bad night. I think Josh Heupel probably learned what went wrong that week. Hopefully that turns into a good thing because he can identify what mistakes were made in the week leading up to that game and hopefully correct that and not have that be an issue going forward, catch it before it becomes an issue, whatever the problem was. I think the fact that Banks was out, captain your defense or your play caller, just all that combined for just a really bad night in Columbia. I don't think there's any big secret as to as to what happened there. And I don't – based on, you know, they beat Clemson, but Clemson you – know, South Carolina beat Clemson in the next week. But Clemson this year, they're good, but they're not national championship good. They're not playoff good. So that win didn't mean quite as much as it would have a couple of years ago. And it's not like they blew them out either. You know, they won by one point. They they got kind of fortunate there, and they, they were able to get a win. So I don't think South Carolina's going to turn into some juggernaut uh, based off that one game against Tennessee. I think it was just a really bad time for Tennessee to have that type of game. That's the type of game you want to have against a, a UT Martin or somebody that you can have an off night and still get away with a win. They just happened to do it against a team that was inspired that week. I mean, I think they heard all the outside noise about South Carolina not having a chance. I think Tennessee's players bought in to South Carolina not having a chance because that talk was coming from both sides. It was real easy to buy into, and it was the one time this year that I think they let that outside noise creep in and affect them. And hopefully the leadership on this team, the coaches, the players that will still be here next year will learn from that. And I think you saw the way they responded against Vanderbilt – that they can learn from that, that that's not who they are. Because we saw this in 2016 with Butch Jones. We saw them lose a game in Columbia that they should not have lost. And they still, I mean, they I think they beat Missouri after that game and then lost to Vanderbilt. I mean, they were never right after that South Carolina game. They weren't able to correct it. Butch wasn't able to correct it. It carried over into the next season as well. You saw Heupel immediately change the tone. He changed that whole perception, that that 
that storyline of the broken locker room that that Kirk Herbstreit and everybody was trying to push out there, it kind of disappeared immediately after that Vanderbilt game because of the way they responded. And that's what gives me confidence moving into next season that, one, that won't be an issue, and, two, that South Carolina game was kind of an anomaly. To, to me, this season proved a couple of things about Josh Heupel. If, if he can get two things on with a team, it's the magic formula for him. One is a great quarterback, and he's clearly pretty good at producing great quarterbacks. He's done it multiple times in his career this season, just being the latest example. You know, almost had a Heisman guy uh, as his QB this year. And then if you could combine that with a solid defense and this season, like John Hill says it in the, the comments here, our defense had holes in it all year. Absolutely. That defense was never destined for anything great. Um, they had a couple of moments, the Kentucky game, the Vandy game, uh, e- even Pittsburgh to some extent. I mean, the defense was huge in that game, but they weren't consistent at all. And they weren't able to, to string it together. Yeah. I mean, but just if, if he can have, his if Heibel can have his offense operating at the high end of its ability, 45 points a game like this season, or plus, I mean, it was more than that this season. Number one in the country. Exactly. If you can have that, and then you combine that with a solid defense. Again, it doesn't even have to be great, but you have maybe a, a, a great edge rusher and a couple of good cornerbacks. Like the, the 2015 Vols defense. Yes. This team would have, I don't know if they beat Georgia because that that's a toss-up game. At yeah. your best, that should be a toss-up game. So you just got to go out and beat them. But they Definitely beat South Carolina. Them. Yeah, they're in the playoff with the yeah. 2015 Tennessee defense. Absolutely. They, they would have been in the playoff this season with a defense that good. And it's not like that defense was anything transcendent. Like, it wasn't. Yeah, it's what, you, it's what you're talking about. It was They had good players. at had Derek Barnett, edge rusher. You had Cam Sutton and, and Jalen Reeves-Maven and these guys that didn't go to the NFL to become superstars, but they went on to have NFL careers and to be contributors you got to have those guys to get to the playoff. You're not going to get to the playoff with a defense that doesn't have a, a bunch of NFL guys. I mean, they got it. The LSU defense in 2019 is a good example. That defense wasn't elite by any means. And Dave Aranda, that was the defensive coordinator that year, is the head coach at Baylor now, had a good reputation. They had guys go to the NFL. Grant Delpit, Patrick Queen, Queen and, and K, uh, the edge rusher they had. They had several guys, but they weren't elite by any means. But with that offense, there was no stopping them. I mean, that that's why I look at this recruiting class and you go, Shindavian Bradley, Christian Conyer, Jordan Matthews, these dudes that are coming in, and then you add in transfers on top of that, whoever it may be, and you give you give that formula two years, and Nico's your quarterback, and that's what's coming up. I mean, I just look at that and I go, that's it. That's it right there. There's your, you know, transcendent offense with solid defense. And that's the formula that Heupel can get to the playoff with. I mean, clearly he, he proved this season that it's to get to the playoff with this, in my opinion, because I think with a, a half decent defensive effort in that game, you beat South Carolina and make the playoff. So like you were that close, a half a football away. So I, uh, that that's kind of a side point, you know, to go back. We were talking about the the transfers. I think I, with with transfers this year, that's the only way Tennessee can get to that point that we're talking about there. There are 
I mean, Lord knows with all the transfers that are out there right now, the players are certainly there. The young talent that's coming in, like your Shandavian Bradleys and your Christian Conyers, I don't think they're going to be there yet. But you have you have great young people, Josh Josephs and guys like that. Like you have great young pieces coming up, but I think you probably need transfer linebacker, definitely some transfer cornerbacks, uh, and maybe a transfer quarterback this season. I, we're going to see. We're going to see. It's kind of a tryout for Joe Milton. We talked to Jonathan Crompton this last week about that. He thinks Tennessee should go for a transfer quarterback no matter what. Um, and that was a little controversial in the comments and on social media. Not everybody agreed with that, but uh. And and I think, you know, the wide receivers are going to be fine. The running backs are going to be fine almost no matter what. But you get you get those positions filled out. It's going to be there for Tennessee this coming year, too. But can they do that? And the transfer portal is going to be a huge piece in that. And uh, I, I, I don't know. It's so everything's so up in the air, as we're already saying. Everything's so up in the air with the transfer portal right now. Who knows who all they've talked to? Because... You, th- there's not enough hours in the day to talk to all the guys in the transfer port right now. There's just I imagine not. that's what every single grad assistant and analyst is doing right now. Yes. They're just watching 18 hours of film a day. Living on the phone. Yes, living on the phone, watching these dudes on film, trying to figure out who's who. Because I, I do think that, you know, some people think Tennessee will take a step back in 2023 because you're losing Hendon Hooker. You're, you're probably losing Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, some of these guys that were key players. And, and I... I definitely see that. I'm not ready to put a projection on anything. I, I would like to see Joe Milton in this Clemson game before I really get into thinking about what what might happen next year. But I do see, yeah, you're losing a Heisman contender. Maybe you need the defense to step up a little more next year. Maybe you don't beat Alabama in a 52-49 to 49 shootout next year. You beat Alabama in a – 35 to 28 type game where you're able to keep them off the scoreboard a little and you don't score quite as much. Like I think that the defense will have to play a little bit better because Joe Milton just doesn't have the track record of Hendon Hooker. You can't count on 48 points a game next season. I still think the offense is going to be dynamic no matter what. Uh, even if Joe Milton is still inconsistent and is the starter, I still think you're going to be scoring 40 points a game and putting up some numbers because he, we've seen he can hit those splash plays he can hit those 60 yard bombs and square white and him already have shown that they have a connection with each other and they've shown it at the end of several sec games so i think that'll still be there i just think you're gonna need the defense to step up more next year than you did this year because i i, I could see that like that pittsburgh game this year where the defense kind of sealed the game flowers made that sack and he made a key interception in that game as well early in the game when pittsburgh was possibly going to go up 17 and nothing. I think you'll see more of those type of games next season, just just based off what I think they'll have going into next year. Obviously, like I said, we'll know more after the bowl game and how that goes. Yeah, there's a lot that has to play out. And actually, Daniel, in the comments here, he said, I think this is part of what's happening with the transfer portal. He says, who are we getting as an offensive coordinator? Obviously, an offensive coordinator hasn't been hired, although, in my personal opinion, I think the offensive coordinator for next season is already in the building. Uh, mm, I, think it'll be, I think so, too. Yeah, J- Joey Halsey. And I think if that wasn't the case, you would see that they probably would have already made a hire or they'd be closer to making a hire. I mean, you haven't heard them talking about to anybody about that job. And if he was going to go outside of the building to make that higher, I think we would start hearing uh, some whispers about certain people and and certain coaches. I don't, obviously he's going to have to hire a tight ends coach and yeah, 
so do, but does, can develop does that and affect, if if they want to try for like a Trey Knox, does that hurt you? I think it does. I mean, I think it could for sure because Trey Knox entered the portal when his tight ends coach left. So obviously yep. to me that, that, I mean, I don't know for sure if this is the case, but that tells me that that's important to him. And if that's important to him, it's hard to commit to a program that doesn't have a tight ends coach and you don't know who's going to coach you. You really don't. And so that, that does feel pretty imperative, pretty important. Um, but you're you not going to go hire a tight ends coach just to get Trey Knox. That's true. Time. You know, you, you still got to hire the right guy. And we've seen this program hire the wrong guy before. We were talking about before we went started recording when Jimmy Brumbaugh was hired and he was fired after four games because Pruitt didn't really interview anybody. He just hired oh, a guy weird. he knew. So, and, and I get it with Pruitt too. Like we we've kind of talked about how how challenging this month of the year is. It's 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 tough to go and find the right guy and all this stuff. It's it's so much that goes into hiring a coach. Yeah, Pruitt could have done better, but it, it was what it was. So Heupel doesn't probably not gonna make that same mistake. It doesn't appear that he is. I think it's more about get the right guy. Don't hire a guy just because you think Trey Knox will commit if you do. And they might not even want Trey Knox. They might That's want true. somebody else too. You know, <laughs> like there's yeah. so many different factors that go into that. I, I I just think that's that is such an important one. I mean, it's honestly some offensive linemen too. Obviously, they got the the JUCO offensive lineman Larry Larry Johnson, uh, the third. But the, he he shares a name with every sixty year old boss you've ever had. Um, uh, a former NFL running back, a former NBA player. There's a whole <laughs> list there. Uh, I do think but, you need some offensive linemen, though, for sure. You do. You're losing Jerome Carvin. You're losing Darnell Wright. Uh, you, you need that right tackle. You need a guard. You, you you they got lucky. They got pretty fortunate this year. I think Mincy missed some time, but otherwise they were pretty healthy. They were this year. And we've seen years where that, I mean, playing walk-ons at, uh, who was the, uh, Gil- Gilliam, was it Jacob Gilliam that play, ended up being like the right left tackle? Yeah. One year as a walk-on. I mean, we've seen Tennessee go through some tough situations with offensive linemen and the offensive line rotation. Uh, really in general, injuries weren't a huge deal this year as far as like, nagging like muscle type injuries that we'd seen before the Tillman thing was a freak deal that that just just happened it was just a bad bad luck Jabari small shoulder injury dude just kept taking hard hits and not much you can do about that but otherwise I think the strength and conditioning that they have at Tennessee right now is doing a pretty good job and yeah it's kind of one of those things if you don't hear about them they're probably doing a good job if you hear about them and complaints about them people getting injured you know out of sight out of mind type deal and I think there's something to be said specifically on offense. I mean, defense is kind of a, a different thing because you can't really control the type of offense that you play against. But offensively, I think the way Hypel coaches, it doesn't really lend his team to taking certain types of injuries. Like you don't see him calling plays that set up like a hospital pass across the middle where guys just get their head taken off. Well, I remember early in the season or mid season, me, you and, and Austin Stanley in our group text. And I think it was Austin that mentioned like Hyatt never gets hit. Really? Never. He always gets out of bounds or he, he avoids those hits. And it's not like he's avoid, like looking to avoid it. He's just very savvy in the way that he takes care of himself, which is huge. I mean, cause he's not a huge guy. So he, you know, I could see him being an injury prone type guy, but he 
he had a knack for avoiding those hits. Yeah. Well, whoever, whatever is going on there, good oh, this... job to everybody involved because it was such a terrible thing with Butch. So many players got injured. I remember that. It's a blessing to have health on your football team. Matthew uh, Blevins puts up here, the best recruiting tight end coach per 2022 rankings is Vince Merrow. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if people are familiar with Vince, but... Uh, what what he, is his uh... Twitter presence ranked? Because that yeah. was rough. He's had uh, some moments there on uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, that, never he, seen a never seen a coach talk more about Tennessee and get kicked right in the teeth by Tennessee right afterwards. Who was <laughs> he? he uh, After that, and people don't know he's tight ends coach at Kentucky, and he's been there for almost a decade now, I think. But it seems like any time a rec- if a recruit does like commits to Tennessee over Kentucky, which happens, you know, sometimes they're going after the same guys. He's immediately on Twitter, like subtweeting. At these guys, like it's, I mean, if you're Mark Stoops, how are you not like, dude, just stop? Like, you're not helping anything at all. Uh, yeah, I, I, he uh, he's an emotional tweeter. As a as a fellow emotional tweeter, I have uh, I have some sympathy there, but you got to be careful because they so he has had tweets come back to haunt him so mm, often. Oh yeah, the, pretty much every one he sends, except for maybe <laughs> like if he tweeted in 2020. Ah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to end up at Tennessee. Yeah, no. Um, outside of that, oh, the we didn't mention we already talked about him a ton in this episode, but Jalen Hyatt won the Bolitnikov. Um, I think to everyone's surprise, although I will say, I kept the faith in this one because I, I, I think did I say it on this show or did I? I did a couple other shows last week that I might have said it on. I don't totally remember, but my theory was that I used to be a voter. For not for that particular award, but for a different one. And I just know from doing that, those awards go to the guy with the best stats because there are so many players in America that you have to sift through for some of those awards that you just look at the stats. And then when it comes to the finalists, well, I didn't watch all those guys play. I mean, especially like you think about like Marvin Harrison Jr., most of the games they played were snoozers. They were against total joke teams because the Big Ten's a fake league. And so... And half their games are like noon on Fox. Yeah. And, no, and, nobody's... And, and every Ohio State fan leading up to the, the giving out that award was like, he made so many great contested catches and he did all the... Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't think that anybody that votes for this award saw those catches happen. <laughs> so... I mean, I didn't really I mean, that, see that's them probably either. probably true. Well, Twitter. I mean, I have Twitter open on a separate like computer almost all day, like just watching, monitoring, keeping up with what's going on. And I don't remember seeing like a ton of Marvin Harrison highlights no. at all. I mean, I heard about him obviously a lot, and part of that's because of his famous name. And he's a great player. I think he'll be a really good NFL player. I have no doubt about that at all. I think he is. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't deserve the Blitnikoff. And there's, just, I mean, there's no argument. It's like the argument for Hendon Hooker not being a Heisman finalist. I mean, yeah. Tennessee fans can just put the numbers out there and just say, here, here it is. It was actually interesting. I, I t- was talking to a uh, Ohio State fan, an Ohio State fan who actually has a, a brain this uh, weekend. He's just a friend of mine. Um, and uh, th- there aren't a ton of those out there, but they do exist. Uh, but uh, he was, you know, he was kind of like, I think ultimately Marvin Harrison will probably be the better wide receiver, like just physically and just the way that he's built and his... like in the NFL. Exactly. But at the end of the day, Jalen Hyatt had the best season and that's what that award is. Yes. And I was like, exactly. 
that's exactly it. He, I mean, Cam many, Hyde had the best season for a wide receiver in America by like a long shot. How many and dudes he, won the Heisman that never did anything in the NFL? I mean, so like Jason White at Oklahoma yeah. or even Tim Tebow. I mean, it's not the award and the same with the, the bulletin across the same way. It is what you did in college. It if, has if nothing the, to do with what, what anybody thinks about what you'll do at the next level. Yes. If, if the award was for the wide receiver in America with the most NFL talent or the, mo- the most NFL potential, I guess the wide receiver with the most NFL potential. I would probably put Marvin Harrison jr. Ahead of Jalen Hyatt. Sure. Uh, that's not and what I that award is. And I don't know that that's even a hundred percent fair. That's true. I don't, I don't get the knock. I think I feel like Hyatt gets penalized because of the perception of Tennessee's offense and that he's just running fast and outrunning safeties. And that's not always the case at all. I mean, he, I mean, obviously he has elite, elite speed. I mean, he had like Will Fuller 4-3. Maybe he runs in the 4-2 range at the combine. His elite speed. But he was, uh, A to Z Sports has a film room guy, James Foster, that does a lot of great breakdowns. And I remember the Alabama game, He, I put the clip out there on Twitter, you might have seen it, where he showed like how Hyatt, he switches his speed in that one particular route. It was the uh, it's the touchdown where, if you remember, Gary Danielson is talking about the big pass plays not being there. And then all of a sudden, there's a 70-yard bomb to Jalen Hyatt and Nessler's, oh, there's your big pass play. That particular play, he highlights how he switched up his speed in three different three different speeds from like slow to fast to like kind of a medium speed. And that really gave the the defensive back there a problem that's how he was able to free himself up to get down the field. So he's very smart in how he runs his routes. He knows what he's doing. Obviously, his route tree is not super complex at Tennessee because of the way that they they run their offense and kind of try to get to the open part of the field. But it requires a lot of knowledge of how the defense is playing you, where they're set up, where the open spot on the field is going to be. He did everything that you got to do to get open. And he was also smart about it, him and Hinton Hooker being on the same page. I don't, I don't see what about that's a negative just because it's not the Nothing. exact same offense. I mean, Ohio State's not exactly this pro-style offense either. I mean, they're not a traditional lineup under center and like what Kentucky was trying to do with Will Levis, which did not work at all, by the way. Uh, so I, I don't know why that's the narrative that's out there. That Yeah, that's been silly. That really came up in the talk about the Bolitnikoff, and I, you know, had no business being in that conversation at all. Now, you want to talk yeah. about the draft, mock drafts, and stuff? We get to February and March, and the combines going on, and all that. Yeah, we can have that conversation then. But when it comes to this award, I mean, and I, unfortunately, it looks like the voters agreed. Yeah, but I, I will say this about Hyatt: he's got that dog in him. And don't count that out as a factor. There's been plenty of guys that they project like this for the NFL. And there's quote unquote, less talented guys that end up passing right by him. Yeah. If you're an NFL, if you're an NFL personnel guy, you're a scout, you're general manager, front office, you look at Jalen Hyatt first two years, didn't do a whole lot, even though he had all this talent, he comes in this year, he's accountable. He take, he, he doesn't blame teammates. He doesn't blame coaches. He said last year, 2021, his head wasn't where it needed to be. He was worrying about the wrong things. He got his head right and said, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work harder, and I'm going to be an important part of this offense, and this offense is going to be one of the best in the country. He said that in August, and people, non-Tennessee fans, laughed at him hysterically. Like We'll circle back to this at the end of the year. 
Well, we can circle back to it all we want because he was right. And every single thing he said during the summer about working harder, about holding himself accountable, about being a good teammate, and, and all these things that he said he delivered on. So if you're an NFL person, I think that right there, I mean, that you know they look at character. It's why people – it's why George Pickens wasn't a first-round draft pick last year. It's why we've seen a lot of guys fall because of off-field issues or the perception, what coaches say about them and, and when they have these pro days and the general manager and a head coach are over there kind of chatting. And he's like, well, what's the deal really with this guy? They talked about Jalen Hyatt. It's going to be like, hey, he does what he says he's going to do. He's a hard worker. And he's going to deliver. And I think that's going to hold a lot of weight in those rooms when they're talking about who they want to select. So I think he's going to have a chance. I think he's uh, I think he's probably going to, you know, have a pretty successful or give it a good shot. And so you're saying that Cedric Tillman's officially declared for the NFL draft just now, it looks like, too. Okay. So that uh, guessing that means he's not playing in the bowl game we, officially here. We already said that. Uh our both of our projections was that uh yes he will not play in the orange bowl is what his message yeah. says and that that Which, was our that's what we said so um there you go words hey zach and i get uh things right every so often we're <laughs> broken clocks right twice a day right um go. that's yeah that was definitely to be expected and you know i'm i want to see tillman get to the NFL and he needs to get past his injury badly. I hate it for him so much. I, I I hope that they look at that tape from 2021 and really see what he can do because he never, I mean, he gutted it out. What it, it was, was it the South Carolina game? He had like nine catches. Yeah. I mean, he came out and, and tried to play through it, tried to get back, did all he could. He deserves to be a first or second round pick. I hope he doesn't fall way down draft boards because of that Akron game. I mean, that, it's such an unfortunate deal that happened with him and really plagued him all season long and possibly cost him a decent amount of money. Hopefully that's not the case. I mean, you, you got a whole year in 2021 to look at, to see what he did. And, and he did, did it against some good teams in 2021 as well. And and that's why I say, like, I'm, I would really, like, if he came to me and asked, should I play in this bowl game? I would say no. I, yeah. I think he, he needs to get right and impress these scouts when it comes comes to those days where he can do that. And so um, that's fine. Well, anything else, Zach, we covered the gambit today. Another solid like 90 minute show in the books here. Um, but anything else uh, before we head out? I do wonder here with, with Tillman making that announcement, if it means that maybe tomorrow we get a Hyatt announcement, that's just kind of a guess, but she kind of, you know, they're teammates. It's a concerted effort here. You kind of spread it out a little bit. Let Tillman make his announcement, have his moment. Then that because the Hyatt news is going to overshadow that because I think yeah. a lot of people, you know, like I said, expected the Tillman thing. So I feel like we should probably look for Hyatt's announcement in the next twenty four ish hours. What maybe we will? Uh, I I don't know. No, no guarantees here because it's always sort of contingent on our availability and things. Uh, but when Hyatt announces one way or the other, because I think if he opts out of the bowl game, that's going to be big. That's a big, big loss in terms of predicting that game and what might happen in it. And he suddenly go to Brew McCoy, Square White, and yeah. is it Walker Merrill? Or where, I guess guys. Romel Keaton. Romel Keaton would step in, but you'd think Walker Merrill then would have a bigger role in that game. Yeah, you you still have guys, but maybe if, if they make that announcement and the timing is right, maybe we'll do another uh, a quick sort of emergency segment like we did last week and 
uh, talk about it. But uh, so look out on on the channel on the A to Z Sports YouTube channel for the rest of the week, and obviously watch <laughs> Twitter for that announcement. I mean, I'm I'm waiting for it just like everybody else. Excited to see what he says. So that's it. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. Uh, this episode was featuring all the guys working on my roof. Um, thank you to them for contributing to the show. I'm sure everybody heard it all all show long. Shout out to them. They're doing a great job. God, we don't uh, have to pay them for their contributions to this, do they? Because uh, they were they were featured a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk to Austin about that. We we might have to <laughs> throw him a few bones uh, because they they were an important part of the show today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie Burris, Zach Rickett, thanks to everybody for watching, listening, tuning in, uh, commenting. It means the world. We couldn't do this without you. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for watching, and we'll talk to y'all eh, maybe later this week. See you guys later. <laughs>